You're listening to the Central City Assembly podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for Jesus. So enjoy this episode and may you be filled with the love of God the Father. I like starting my my messages out with questions. So you ready for a question? There's no right or wrong answer to this question. Um, Just you answer it how you feel, okay? Um, Does anyone here enjoy entertaining? Hosting, yeah, like you you enjoy having people over to your house um, and being hospitable, or you like to be the life of the party and, and make sure everyone is having a good time, or maybe you don't like to be the life of the party, um, but you want to provide a space, a place where people can feel at home and have fun, right? That's more my speed. I am totally okay having people over to my house, but I won't be cracking jokes. You know, I won't break out in song or anything. I'll let somebody else do the entertaining, right? Does anyone else relate to this, right? Whether you like to, to just be the entertainer or the host. Yeah, okay. And it's fine if, if you don't. That's okay. Um, and it's okay to be this way. Uh, but, but in fact, hospitality is something that all Christians, if you look at the, the word that the Bible used for hospitality, um, hospitality is, is something all Christians are expected to show. And not just to people that we know, but also to people that we don't know as a way of getting to know them and, and, and showing them the love of Christ. And if you're going to be hospitable, like many of you have said you enjoy, um, then you want it to be enjoyable, right? Relaxing, fun, entertaining for the people you're hosting. Now, there are some conditions to entertaining that are also okay, right? Like if someone comes to your house and they consistently disrespect you, disrespect your family, disrespect your home, your, you know, your dogs and your cats, then it's okay to not entertain that person anymore. Uh, If someone comes to your house and suddenly things start going missing and you discover that it's that person, it's okay to not entertain that person anymore, or if someone comes knocking on your door and they, they look quite alike that person you saw on the late night news who is wanted by the law, um, you don't have to entertain that person, okay? I give you permission to just keep the door closed, right? We have these certain standards and conditions for hosting and entertaining people, right? If they're dangerous, abusive, inconsiderate, disrespectful, and unwilling to change that about them, see you later. Right? You don't have to allow them into your house anymore. Um, and while we have these standards in place for who we allow into our homes, we don't always carry over those same standards for who and what we allow into our thoughts and into our minds, into our hearts. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase um, to entertain an idea or to entertain a thought? When you entertain a thought or an idea, you allow yourself to consider it as possible or as worth thinking about seriously. And if you're anything like me, then I think we can all admit that um, we have entertained thoughts and ideas that we know we shouldn't, haven't we? We've entertained thoughts and ideas that, that were dangerous or abusive, inconsiderate, disrespectful of us um, and even other people around us. Am I assuming too much for us this morning? I don't think so. Because how many times has someone said something to you or or about you, and at the core, you knew it was a lie, but you entertained it just enough to let it affect you, 
You entertained it just enough to start believing that it was true. Or how many times has a negative or lustful or hateful or, or hurtful, destructive thought intruded the home of your mind and you entertained it just enough to point you and lead you down a path you know you shouldn't go? I, I think we've all been there before. This is something we can all relate to as just human beings, right? Um, but uh, we've also been there collectively as a society, especially over the past few years. And today, what I want to do is I want to teach on a passage that I've been thinking about um, for, for a while now. Um, it comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And you can go ahead and open your Bibles to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you need a Bible or don't have one, we've got some in the back. Luke is holding one up for you right there. Um, and you can take that, have it for yourself, take it home with you. Um, but we really enjoy honoring the Word of God, doing the work, opening up your physical Bible, your digital Bible. Let's turn there together, Okay. Um, and I believe that this passage uh, speaks to us, um, not just as individuals, but it also speaks to us as a society. And I want to show you uh, the problems that this entertaining has led to, but also the solution that Paul gives us. All right, so we're going to start reading right away. Let's start by reading uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And when you get there, say, go Dallas Cowboys. Okay, you know what? I can preach for like another extra hour if I need to. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, it says this. This is, this is Paul speaking, uh, and Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive. Say, take it captive. Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. You see, I think we've entertained way too many bad thoughts and ideas as individuals and as a society even that's led to many problems in our lives and in the world. But Paul tells us in this passage how to correct this. He says, instead of entertaining them, Paul tells us to take them captive. And I want to explore with you today what that looks like. And so the title of today's message, you already helped me with it, it's Take It Captive. All right? Let's pray one more time before we, we dive into this passage a little bit more. Father God, we are so grateful and honored to be here today, gathered together as a family, a body of believers. We thank you for, for what that really means, and I pray that you would help us to see uh, just the power in gathering together uh, today. I pray that you would give us confidence to be your body, to be your church, to be your children. And God, we, we just thank you that we have power and authority over the enemy who tries to tear us down. God, I, I'm praying most of all that you would help us to see that today, that you would help us to see that we don't have to, to entertain things that we shouldn't. We can take them captive. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you help us to see that? Give us boldness today. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right? So let me, uh, let me give you a little bit of background on what's happening in and around this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay, now uh, just a little 
side, this one's for free this morning, okay? Um, right, we have uh, Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, um, and we also have 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, but technically, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are Paul's second and third letters to the church in Corinth. Uh, because when you read 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this phrase over and over. He says, pertaining to this, pertaining to that. He's making a, a bunch of clarifying remarks about things that seem random to us when we read it. But what's really happening is that Paul, he had written to the church in Corinth once before 1 Corinthians. And when the, the church read this original letter, Paul's teaching and instructions just went right over their heads. They had no idea what Paul was talking about. It caused way more confusion to them than clarity. So, so they wrote back to Paul saying, hey, can you clarify what you meant about this prophecy and, and speaking in tongues? Can you clarify what you meant about the Lord's Supper? And so 1 Corinthians is actually a clarification of his original first letter to the church. But that first letter is lost. We have no idea where it is. It's never been recovered, um, but that's probably for the better. Because if the church in Corinth was completely confused by Paul's first letter, we probably would be too, all right? Um, but what we know about the church in Corinth is that they had a lot of issues, right? I got issues. What's that song? You know it. Um, they had a lot of issues. They were in bad shape, like bad. Like in some of Paul's letters to, to other churches, uh, they had issues too, but their issues were mostly external. Like they were being persecuted and killed, and they were just like, Paul, how do we keep going? How do we keep the church going? And Paul would write to these churches to help encourage and strengthen them. But the church in, in Corinth, their, their issues were mostly internal. Like they had behavioral issues, theological and doctrinal issues. For example, there was this there's this one guy, this is in the Bible, okay? There's this one guy who was sleeping with his stepmother, and Paul was like, dude, no, that's not okay. That's not okay. Or during that time, the Lord's Supper, communion, was more like a, a meal that the, the body of believers would eat together, and they would remember Jesus. And, but some were coming to the church for this communion meal, and they were pigging out they were being gluttonous. They were even getting drunk on the wine that was being passed around. And Paul was like, dudes, no, this is supposed to honor Jesus. Right? The church in Corinth had a lot of internal issues that needed correcting. Um, they also had some external issues, though, too. Specifically, a group of these supposed Christians called the Judaizers, they had a habit of following Paul around from one church to the next, telling all of these new converted Gentile Christians that they weren't really Christians unless they acted more like Jews, right? That, that unless they were circumcised, followed the Old Testament dietary restrictions and, and cleanliness laws, that they weren't truly members of the family of God. And these same people... They tried to undermine Paul's authority as an apostle, saying things like, you know what, if Paul is really an apostle of God, if, if Paul really had God's favor on his life and, and calling, he wouldn't have faced all of these hardships and this persecution and all the bad things he's faced. Right? They, they even go so far as to attack his very character and personality. They, they say, Paul speaks boldly in his letters, but just you wait until he actually comes to the church. He's just a weak, frail old man who can't communicate very well. Can you believe that? And 2,000 years later, today, Paul is still getting attacked and undermined, isn't he? 
Right? Dude can't catch a break. And so in 1 Corinthians, Paul is encouraging the church to be unified with one another as, as followers of Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses some of those issues again, um, but he's also having to defend himself and encourage the church to not just be unified with one another, but with him in his ministry to them. Right, so what I want you to do with, with that background understanding, I want you to put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. Okay, I want you to empathize with Paul. And we have to remember that Paul is a human, just like you and I are humans. Yes, he was this amazing hero of the Bible, amazing man of God, but he had feelings and emotions, strengths and weaknesses, wants and needs, just like you and me. How do you think Paul felt hearing that these people were assassinating his character, questioning his calling? And not just at Corinth, these people followed him from church to church to church with the, the intention of undermining him and to stop him from pursuing God's calling on his life. How would that make you feel? You would feel awful. Right? I mean, have you ever felt like you heard from the Lord very clearly? Like, like he gave you some direction or even a calling for your life. You, you heard God, for example, say, hey, let's get your life together. Start following me. Start seeing that my ways are better than the ways you've been pursuing and follow me. Or maybe you heard God say, hey, I have this mission for you. For building the kingdom of God, this is what it looks like. Right? And then when you started to, to go in that direction and pursue your calling, the naysayers and haters all came out and started whispering or even screaming in your ear. What are you doing trying to be all holier than thou? Right? You want to do what for God? Are you sure God told you to do that? Because I know your past. I know the way you lived before. Do you really think God would use someone like you? And sometimes the, the naysayers and the haters, they, they're coming from the outside. And sometimes we are our own worst critics, aren't we? But from wherever it's coming from, how often do we entertain those thoughts and ideas? How often do we hear what others say and then we start to agree with them or, or believe them even though we know it's wrong and it's damaging to us? Did God really call me? Am I qualified enough, good enough, smart enough, experienced enough? Would God really want to use me? Who's been there before? Can we be vulnerable this morning? Who's been there before? Yeah. And what does entertaining those thoughts and ideas do for your morale? Does it real, you know, lift you up, doesn't it? No, it doesn't. Right? What does entertaining those thoughts and ideas do for your relationship with God? Does it draw you closer to God? Right? What does it do to your sense of purpose and calling? Well, unfortunately, this isn't anything new. We're not the first people to ever experience this before. People have been entertaining thoughts and ideas they know they shouldn't have since the very beginning. Because when God first created Adam and Eve, he said to them, I have created you in my image, in my likeness. You are like me. He also gave them some instruction, right? To not eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But then that, that enemy, right? Satan, in the form of a serpent, he came along. And what does he ask Eve? Did God really say, it's the oldest trick in the book. Did God really say, did God really say what you think he said, Eve? 
God didn't mean you would actually die. Right? God just knows that if you eat the fruit from the tree, then you'll become like him. And what did Eve do? She entertained the thought. Right? She entertained the idea. She entertained the thought that, well, maybe God didn't really say that. And, and she entertained the idea that, well, maybe we really will become like God if we eat from the tree. But listen, both of those things that the enemy said were lies that Eve entertained. Because God really did say, right, don't eat from the, the, the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And guess what? They were already like God, created in his image, in his likeness. They didn't need to eat the fruit to become like God. Do you see it? So Eve entertained the serpent's bad ideas, and so did Adam. And what happened? Death and sin and shame entered the world, and those were things that were never meant to be our portion as humans. And nothing ever good comes when we entertain thoughts and ideas that we know we shouldn't that we know are contradictory to the truth, the words of God. Now, what should Adam and Eve have done? They should have done what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Unfortunately, he was born many, many years later, right? They should have taken those thoughts and ideas captive. They should have destroyed the serpent's arguments. They should have kicked the serpent out of the garden altogether. And what makes this all the more tragic is that they had the power and the authority to do all of that. They could have. Because after God created Adam and Eve and placed them in the garden, God said, hey, you're in charge now. You're in charge. Take dominion. Take control of the garden. It and everything in it belongs to you. You rule over it. And so they had the power and the authority, which would include taking captive anyone and anything that was out of line with God's created order. If you look at the, the temple in the Old Testament, they had guards standing posts to, to keep anyone out. And the garden is the very first temple ever created. And Adam and Eve were put there to protect and guard the garden. Right? So what they should have done is, is when this serpent, this created being, came into their home questioning their authority and questioning God, the creator, they should have taken it captive and exercised their power and authority over it. But they entertained the serpent and his ideas instead. And the world hasn't been the same ever since. And so my, my question to you this morning, I'm going to ask it many times, is what thoughts and ideas are you entertaining that you should be taking captive? What thoughts and ideas in your life are you entertaining that you should be taking captive? And you might shoot back and you might say, well, I don't have the power and authority. Yes, you do. Right? Who told you that? Why are you entertaining that idea? Right? You do have the power and the authority. Because since Jesus is victorious over Satan's sin and death because of his life and death and resurrection that we sang about this morning, God has given him all authority in heaven and on earth. You might shoot back again. Well, that's Jesus. What about us? Well, Paul says in Ephesians that God has put all things under the feet of Jesus. I want you to follow me in this picture, okay? Everything has been put under the feet of Jesus, meaning he has all power and authority over everything under his feet. You following so far? Okay, Paul says that Jesus is the head, right? The ultimate authority, and that we, his people, his followers, his church, are what? We're the body. We're the body, so if Jesus has all authority over everything under his feet, 
right? Where are we then in that picture? We are not under his feet. We are the body. Yes, Jesus is the head, the ultimate authority over the body. But Paul says elsewhere that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. We have authority with him and over everything that is under his feet because we are part of his body. Do you see it? And so, are you powerless? Do you lack authority? No, don't entertain that idea anymore. Now you know. You can't go back. You do have a power and authority because Jesus has given you power and authority as members of his body, as co-heirs with him. And going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 that we read, Paul tells us that we have divine power. To what? To destroy strongholds. We have divine power to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God. We have divine power to take every thought captive. Say, take it captive. Right? To obey Christ, who has the ultimate power and authority. Do you see it? So I ask again. What thoughts and ideas are you entertaining that you have the power and authority to destroy and take captive? What thoughts and ideas are you entertaining even though you know that at the core they are lies of the enemy? What thoughts and ideas that you know are are sinful and of this world are you allowing into the home of your mind? What are you entertaining that you should be taking captive? And like I said at the beginning, We all do this as individuals, but we also do this as a society. Okay, listen, there are a lot of really bad ideas and thoughts that are going around our world right now that the world is entertaining, aren't they? Right? A lot of bad ideas. Men can become women and women can become men. Bad idea. The world is thinking that young children have the capacity to make life changing decisions about their identity and sexuality, and we're allowing them to alter their bodies with drugs and surgery. Bad idea. Treating unborn children as nothing and giving people the freedom to murder them. Bad idea. Communism, socialism, all the critical theories associated with Marxism. Bad idea. Instigating a nuclear war with the other world powers. Bad idea. These are all bad ideas, not only because history tells us they are, but also because the plan and purpose for the world that God reveals to us in his word says these are bad ideas. And if we continue to entertain them, it's not going to lead to to good things for us. And instead of entertaining these bad ideas, listen, even in the societal realm, we have the power to destroy them and take them captive. Do you hear me, church family? We have the power and authority to do this as the church. Okay, so how do we do it? How do we do it? How do we take captive every thought and idea, whether as individuals or as a society? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to call out bad ideas and thoughts for what they really are. Bad ideas and bad thoughts. We have to call them out vocally. If someone tells you that you are not good enough to be a follower of Jesus or to be used by God, you call it out for what it is. That's a bad idea, and it's just an outright lie. You call it out. If our world pushes an idea or thought that we know is bad, not just because it's our opinion, but because it doesn't measure up to the truth of God, then we need to call it out. 
That's a bad idea, people. Now, you might be saying, duh. Of course, we call out bad ideas for what they really are. But we haven't. We haven't. Right? Because instead of verbally calling them out and taking a stand for what we know is true, we've just ignored them. We've decided to stay in our Christian lane. You know, we'll let the politicians deal with that. We'll let the school system deal with that. We'll let the psychologists and the, the psychiatrists deal with that. Or, or we resign to thinking, well, that's someone else's life. That's someone else's choice. That's their truth. It doesn't affect me. And by not calling out bad ideas and instead, of, instead ignoring them or just staying in our lane, healthy children are being allowed to mutilate their bodies and take life-altering drugs to affirm lies and bad ideas about their identities. Millions of babies are murdered before ever being given the chance to live. Healthy and foundational societal institutions like marriage and families with a mother and a father are being dismantled and undermined. We can't ignore these things and stay in our so-called Christian lane. We have to verbally call out bad ideas for what they really are and refuse to be silent about them. And you might say, well, who are we to say what's a bad idea or not for the entire world? We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ, the way the truth, and the life. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the ultimate, absolute, objective truth written for us in the palm of our hands today. And it is our job as the priesthood of believers to stand for what is really true and to rebuild kingdoms, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? Right? And we have the power and authority to take all ideas, all thoughts and arguments, and measure them up to the truth of God that we have been given. And this is the other way that we take captive all thoughts. We measure them up to the standard of God's truth. That's it. We measure them up to the standard of God's truth. And if they don't measure up, we don't entertain them. We don't question them. We, we take them captive, right? We say, no, we're not going to go along with this thought, this idea, this argument. And this is what Paul was doing with the Judaizers that were following him around. The Judaizers were, were following him around, telling people a different gospel. If you didn't know this, that's a bad idea, right? They were telling people they weren't truly members of the family of God yet because they weren't practicing all of these Jewish laws and regulations. That's another bad idea, right? And what was Paul to do? Ignore it? Stay in his so-called lane? Keep quiet? No. Paul knew the truth of the gospel of Jesus. He knew that we are saved by faith in Jesus alone, not by works or laws or regulations. And what the Judaizers preached, it just didn't measure up to the truth of God. And so Paul did what you're supposed to do when you know something doesn't measure up to the truth of God. He called out the bad ideas for what they really are. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the next chapter, verse 10, Paul declared this. He said, as the truth of Christ is in me. Is the truth of Christ in you? Right? As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced. He was saying, I will not be silent in speaking the truth and calling bad ideas for what they really are. 
With the divine power and truth that has been given me, I will destroy these strongholds, you Judaizers, that are trying to take people captive. I will destroy these bad arguments and every lofty opinion that you're raising against the knowledge of God. I will take every thought captive to obey Christ. Church family, we can do the same thing. We can do the same thing. When as individuals... When a thought comes into our mind, our first response shouldn't be to entertain it. Every single thought, whether it's good or bad, we take it captive. Our first response should be to measure it up to the truth of God. What does God say about this thought or idea? For example, maybe you've been here before. I'm feeling like like God doesn't love me and that God doesn't accept me. Well, what does the word of God say? Romans chapter 8. Verses 35, 37 through 39 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what the word of God says. Right, so does that thought that popped in your brain, does it, does it measure up to the truth of God? No, it clearly doesn't. So the next thing we do is we call it out for what it really is. I don't know where that thought came from, but it's a bad idea. It's a bad thought. It's a lie. God does love me. And he sent his son to live, die, and rise from the dead to prove that he loves me. Nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wow, I'm feeling better already. And in two strokes, you have destroyed that argument. You've destroyed that idea. You've taken the thought captive. Wow. What thoughts are you entertaining that you actually have the power to destroy and take captive? Or when the world says, for example, that that gender is fluid and and gender-affirming care is good. Wait a second, what does the word of God say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So gender isn't fluid. God has designed the sexes as binary. And this is a reflection of his glorious image. To say anything else would be a distortion and an affront to the image of God. And so so so-called gender-affirming care that encourages people of all ages to do whatever they can to change their biological sex to their preferred gender is actually an assault on God's created order and his purpose of biological men and biological women to reflect the glorious image of our king, our God. This is a bad idea. You call it out. It doesn't measure up to the truth of God. And so now I need to do my part to make sure people know the truth. I need to, to vote for politicians and vote for school boards who stand for this truth and who will ultimately impact policy, which will ultimately impact the world and prevent people from making bad decisions that will change their lives forever. What thoughts and ideas in society are we entertaining that we actually have the power and authority as co-heirs with Christ to destroy and take captive? Is what I'm saying too radical? I don't think so. Right? Because here's the other part of all of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 also shows us that we are in a spiritual war. 
that impacts not just the spiritual, but the physical realm too. And we are seeing it all over the place. Right? And when we said yes to Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, church family, but when you said yes to Jesus, you were signing up to fight alongside him in this war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4 makes this clear. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not, what? Waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Church family, this is reality. It's not radical. It's just reality. What is radical is to try and live life pretending there isn't a war raging all around us. That's radical. Right? And if we live that way, ignoring the, the war around us, we're going to let our spiritual guard down. And when bad thoughts and ideas are presented to us, we're all the more likely to entertain them rather than to take them captive. And here's what I know from my personal experience, and maybe you can relate. If we don't take them captive, they're going to take us captive. If we don't take those thoughts and ideas captive, they're going to take us captive, and we will be bound to lies and falsehoods and things that do us harm and keep us from knowing God and experiencing all of the good that he has for us. Why am I saying all of this? And Stephanie, you can come on up. Why am I saying all this? Why am I being so passionate and a little bit louder than I normally am today? I'm going to repeat exactly what Paul said to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 11, Paul said, And why? Why am I saying all this? Because I don't love you? God knows that I do. God knows that I do. And church family, my heart for you as the pastor of this church, which I believe is God's heart for you too, is to see every son and daughter of his living in power and authority and victory in their life. Living according to God's good plans and purposes for them. No longer bound by strongholds, no longer being deceived by lies of the enemy and of the world, no longer accepting thoughts and ideas that are harmful and damaging to their body, soul, and mind. And so my calling and desire is to equip you, the saints, to live according to God's plan and purpose for you. God's plan and purpose for you isn't to entertain or to be held captive by bad thoughts and ideas, but to live in freedom according to the truth of God. And so I ask as much love as I can pour out on all of you, like what thoughts are you entertaining that you actually have the power and authority to take captive and destroy? Whatever thoughts come your way individually or in our society, do they measure up to the truth of God? If not, are we calling them out for what they really are? And there's a really big caveat to this part. In order to measure up to the truth of God, what do you have to do? You have to know the truth of God. We have to be in the word daily. Even when it doesn't make sense and we don't understand what it's saying, that's why Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit so that we can interpret and we can know what he's teaching us. You have to know the word of God in order to measure these, these thoughts and ideas to the word of God. 
And if not, are we calling them out for what they really are? And I believe that when we do that, not only are we preventing ourselves from being taken captive, but we're setting an example. We're helping others be set free from captivity to lies and the deceitful schemes of the enemy. Take it captive. Let me say one more thing that I forgot to say about the enemy. Have you ever just been hanging out, just minding your own business, and all of a sudden this thought pops into your head, like, God, where did that come from? Who's been there? Almost every day, the enemy will try and, but listen, the enemy does not have the power to alter what you think. He does not have the power to control your mind. The enemy is a lot like that solicitor who comes knocking on your door to sell you something. And guess what? You have the power to not open the door. In real life too, listen, you don't have to open the door to a solicitor, okay? All of you very kind people, just close the door on them, all right? Close the door. But listen, the enemy is just a solicitor. He's just a salesman. And you can say no to him. Shut the door in his face. You don't have to entertain his thoughts and ideas. So what I want to do is that question one more time. What thoughts and ideas have you been entertaining that you have the power and authority to take captive and destroy? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Would you enter into a time of reflection and seeking Jesus right now? King David, he he wrote a psalm and he said, Search my heart, O God. He was saying, search my heart for unclean things. Search my heart for the bad ideas and thoughts that I've been entertaining. So you do that right now. You can go right to the throne of God and seek him. Say, God, search my heart. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.